I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast, the monthly roundtable podcast where the brothers behind Three Brothers Film discuss chosen movies and broader topics in film culture. Thanks to those who have been tuning in to the first nine months of our podcast. And a special welcome to any new listeners joining us now. As always, ratings and recommendations, either online or to your friends and family, are welcome and much appreciated. We're always looking to expand our audience and bring more people into the conversation. And five-star reviews help new listeners find us and help us continue to make this a space for thoughtful film conversations. I'm Anders Bergstrom, and I'm here with my brothers. Anta. And Aaron. My last name is the same as my brother's. And this week, we're discussing James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, the sequel-slash-soft-reboot of the 2016 DCEU film, as well as previewing a few of the films we're looking forward to coming out this fall and Christmas. Okay, Ramblers, let's get rambling. You know the deal. Successfully complete the mission, you get 10 years off your sentence. You fail to follow my orders in any way. I detonate the explosive device in the base of your skull. Can do the job so this is the famous Suicide Squad. It's the conventional wisdom that 2016's Suicide Squad, starring Will Smith and Margot Robbie, is the bottom of the barrel, even among the popularly derided films of the DC Expanded Universe. And while we here at Three Brothers Film have a decidedly warmer affection for many of the films in the DCEU than most, it's hard to argue that folks are particularly wrong on that count. The 2016 Suicide Squad was, to put it bluntly, a mess. Seemingly re-edited in a blender after the studio attempted to tweak David Ayer's original cut and add more humor and pop appeal, it's a barely coherent film, about generally unpleasant and indistinct characters. The one nearly unanimously declared bright spot of the film was Margot Robbie's portrayal of Harley Quinn which led to the character's spotlight spin-off film, Birds of Prey, in early 2020. After his dismissal from Marvel and subsequent rehiring, due to some off-color joke tweets from over a decade ago, Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn was brought in by Warner Brothers for the direct sequel to Suicide Squad, which makes a lot of sense, given it was Gunn's own Guardians films that formed some of the impetus to retool the first Suicide Squad film. Gunn directs the Suicide Squad, adding a definite article to the title, essentially as a hard R version of his Guardians films, combining comically brutal and graphic violence, nonstop profanity, and outlandish characters with his trademark arch-comedic tone, jukebox soundtrack, and emotional focus on the bonds between outcasts. The Suicide Squad once again features Robbie as Harley Quinn and Joel Kinnaman as Colonel Rick Flagg, but adds some new characters to the ensemble, including John Cena as the psychotic patriot peacemaker, Sylvester Stallone voicing the hulking fishman King Shark, and Idris Elba as Bloodsport, a deadly marksman and reluctant hero leader, acting as a kind of substitution in this film for Will Smith's Deadshot, without recasting the character in the off chance DC can lure Smith back at some point in the series. The Suicide Squad freely plays off the ideas introduced in the original film, leaning into the suicidal and expendable nature of the characters, while featuring a generally more playful and visually expansive palette. 
The film is structured around a single mission to the fictional island nation of Cortomaltese, a Latin American banana republic that houses a potentially dangerous research facility, Jotunheim. And this gives the film a fairly focused structure and helps develop the portrayal of Task Force X, the official name of the Suicide Squad, under Commander Amanda Waller, played once again by Viola Davis, this time in more villainous directions. Overall, the film is an example of how DC has played more fast and loose with their growing comic book franchise universe than rival Marvel, making the films more uneven, but also more tonally and visually full of variety and interesting. From my perspective, The Suicide Squad is a vast improvement on its predecessor, though I have some serious reservations about the film as well. I know Aaron has already made his opinion of the film public in a review on our site, so I'll turn to Anton. Did you enjoy it? Is The Suicide Squad a course correction to the weaknesses of the first film? And if so, is that enough to make it worth recommending? Overall, I sort of like The New Suicide Squad, but my experience of the film was a collection of likes and dislikes. And really, I have a sort of a moderate, lukewarm positivity towards it, which really isn't what this movie is going for, right? If this movie, it's trying to either basically offend you or make you have a great time and I had neither so I don't know if I really had the proper experience for it. In terms of a course correction, I would say that because this film has a coherent plot, fairly focused goal, all of it makes sense so it's obviously better but in terms of what makes the Suicide Squad the Suicide Squad, I don't think it's a course correction and I think it's just digging into the the same material as the, the previous one and I don't know if I necessarily like that. I don't know if I necessarily like the Suicide Squad as an idea. So that's sort of where I'm at. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you in terms of on a filmmaking level. I, I think it's definitely a better film than the first film. Um, like I understood what they're trying yeah, to do. Exactly. So and, hands down, that's already I think, easy. I think Aaron, does a, Aaron you, can, you can talk about this, but you do a good job in your review of pointing out um, the way that it does away with some of the poor editing and like tonal shifts and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where like, in terms of concept, in terms of approach, it's actually not particularly different. In terms of coherence and mm. and competence, it's you know quite a bit better than the previous one. But if you're just taking it as like a movie about a bunch of freak show superhero rejects going on a suicide mission to do that is like clearly has some nefarious purpose behind it and we're just supposed to see all these off-color characters brush up against each other this movie is basically just the version of the 2016 one that we thought we were going to get in the trailers because that one the trailers promised the humor promised a kind of um irreverent tone that doesn't take anything seriously whatsoever and this one because it's r-rated because it's super violent it's able to just like unleash Mm -hmm. that specific tone in a consistent way which you have to say that like this movie is what it means to be in the way the other one isn't i probably do think that this film is even better than you do in on the things that you're describing here because all the things that you describe the first film's supposed to be whether it's you know these villains brushing up against each other and making clear the way that you know these these they become these expendable superhero agents i mean we all understood that that's what the first film was supposed to do but it never did it like you literally very have very few scenes in the first film where even you know it's not a matter of they had and i don't want 
make this all about how bad the first movie is, but like at least the version of the film I saw, it's not like this is just you had actors brushing up against together and they did a bad job. I actually think you could take that exact same cast from the first film and make a much better film. It's that never in the structure of the film do they ever really get to like play off each other in the way that this film allows them to do. The cast like isn't the problem exactly. in the first movie. Exactly. Like because well, you have which is why the they hold over here, right? to it. But even like no, th- Will Smith, he's not in this one. Yeah, but that was his choice. Yeah, I know. Because there's other things and to be fair, like reading stuff, it, it sounds like he's gonna be back at dead yeah. as Deadshot. That's at why some they didn't point. recast. Yeah, <laughs> but Idris Elba really fills the same slot. He, yeah, he absolutely. does. He's the but same I'm, character. But what I'm for saying is that, is that like Will functional, Smith yeah. is good in Suicide Squad. Yeah. The movie does nothing with him. No, nothing else. But it's like Will Smith in the individual scenes is like charismatic and cool, and <laughs> there's nothing wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. She's yeah. really good. Everyone agreed that. And that's the thing. Just her character was the most flashy that people carried that over. But I think a number of these characters, actually, even in his brief time in this movie, um, I actually thought Jai Courtney's uh, Captain Boomerang had more personality and exuded more interest in the short amount of time he had than in the entire other film. See, I think he's he's kind of funny in the original, too. But (laughs) but I'm just saying. I remember you hated the original, like, much more than me. I thought it was, like, a a a pretty good review, man. Well, I gave it a bad review but in the sense of mm-hmm. this movie disappointed me i don't hate this yeah. movie and yeah. you were like this I, movie's I trash <laughs> see like so I, I think wonder woman is worse like wonder woman 1984 is worse than suicide squad i think they're both pretty bad but anyway Anton. i think i think that the suicide squad versus suicide squad it's a difference mostly in execution not in conception exactly yeah that's well so put. it it's really that uh you know the 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 first one was trying to be this film. This one sort of lives into, uh, I think, what you know, um, the target audience was wanting, but also what the the trailers were promising. Mm-hmm. And my problem is really that I like I don't know if this is the kind of movie that I actually just want. Exactly. Um, and I would also point out that both of them, though, in terms of a similarity, both of them have their most playfulness in the very beginning. Like uh, you know, in the Suicide Squad and Guns version. Having the sort of uh, the decoy opening where we have a we're introduced to a Suicide Squad and they're all basically killed, you know, and then we get the the other Suicide Squad that we're gonna follow like that that's playful that's interesting but you know to its credit uh, the first Suicide Squad actually had a pretty interesting beginning where you, the characters are brought together and then it's, it was everything after that that got really bad. But I, I kind of I pointed out in my review, and it, I'll just say it again. But it's like the first movie does that, but it does it for like twenty five minutes, yeah. And this movie does it for like five minutes. It's yeah. just one of those efficiencies. It's one of those facts that, I mean, I think we're all kind of on the same page with yeah. this, which is the fact that the Suicide Squad is like amusing for what it is. It clearly is a film that fits it like it has a clear tonal vision that is executed well. It's a coherent movie. It's a movie that clearly is. Um, the product of one creative person, James Gunn, in the sense he wrote it and he directed it, who kind of executes it through and all the actors are on board with his specific vision for it. But is it a movie that's like particularly great? No. Yeah, and exactly. that's the kind of thing is like, I don't, I don't quite agree with some of the critical takes, which are like, this is a breath of fresh air for the DCEU. And it's like, well, <laughs> it's only a breath of fresh air if you don't think the Zack Snyder films are great. And, you know, I think two out of the three are great. So, <laughs> like, I don't, you know, 
Batman vs. Superman, Justice, like Zack Snyder's Justice League, that's like the peak of what these movies can be for me. And if you're going to be more irreverent, I actually like Birds of Prey quite a bit. I actually like Aquaman quite a bit. So I don't need it to be completely crapping on the idea of a superhero movie to enjoy it. How could a breath of fresh air be a movie that simply duplicates something that was done in Marvel and just does it with an R rating? Yeah. Like, I don't understand it how is Guardians of the Galaxy, this a, eh? Yeah. Yes. No, this is yeah, Guardians exactly. of the Galaxy Unleashed, right? Like, he doesn't have the restrictions of trying to be a Marvel movie. But the things that are funny are the same kind of jokes. Yep. The, the irreverent humor is working the, the same ways. We even have big guy who talks little, right? Like, in yep. both of these kinds of movies. Like, yeah. And King, King Shark Sh- is like, you know, he, he, he is actually He's like the Groot. He, Groot and Drax together, kind combined. of. Combined. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, into one character. But it's yeah, no. true. It's like the R rating, the humor. The humor's the same. The R rating allows them to be a little more vulgar. The violence is obviously more insane. It's it's basically yeah. those elements that I hated in Guardians 2, yeah. but unleashed in a way but that doesn't more seem... palatable but, here. Well, it? because... Well, that's it's one of the things, right? These are villain characters. The movie's very upfront that they're bad. They're less bad than Amanda Waller, it makes clear. They're less bad than some of the people they're fighting in the movie, like the Peter Capaldi character. But they're, they're still bad guys, and it's like very... Specifically, let's... You know, take somebody like John Cena's Peacemaker. Yeah. He's a bad person. The movie makes it super clear that he's a bad person. Has a lot of fun, actually, with him being bad. And the movie allows John Cena sh- sh- to show off his his um, comic abilities, which yes. we kind of referenced in the last yes. one, which you guys were like, I'm not, you know, I haven't really seen him do that. It's like, well, this is a perfect example. John Cena's good with dry humor and, like, delivery of timing mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. He's I found him a lot good. more enjoyable in this movie than I did in Fast and the Furious. Peacemaker is kind of a highlight, right? Yeah. Yeah. The whole Guardians of the Galaxy connection, I'm like, even down to like, I actually, so Guardians and Marvel fans will hate this, but like, I, I do kind of actually prefer this version of Gun to the Guardians version. Like, Gun's earlier films and stuff, like, are vulgar. They're, yeah. they're gross. They're, I, I don't particularly love them, but. But they're him. Like, but they're him, exactly. And this is this is feels more like a gun movie even than the Guardians films. But it takes the things that people loved about those Guardians films, like the the jukebox soundtrack, right? And it's got like, a good soundtrack you know, actually. This, this like, one's a little it. less. Yeah, I'm saying I liked about this is the less. This is a less obvious soundtrack. I'm gonna throw. Yeah, that out it's there. more deep cuts. I and, think he felt the challenge because I think yep. everyone likes the Guardians soundtrack, but I think he felt like he had to find a few more. Yeah. Um, less easily recognizable yeah. track. He, he had to pull a Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, comparing it to Guardians for me, which is really weird, is like I, I probably prefer The Suicide Squad in those aspects that people often praise Guardians for better. Doesn't necessarily mean that I like loved The Suicide Squad. I have some big reservations we get back to, but I probably preferred certain things about this to what happened in Marvel and I think it's actually explicitly connected to the fact what DC allows Gunn to do that Marvel doesn't both in stylistic and content I find though that um, in comparison to the two the two Guardians of the Galaxy films all three of them have this this desire to be irreverent and then kind of at the end veneer things a bit with some sort of uh, treacly mm-hmm. feel good that He's maybe, sentimental, right? right? Maybe, They're maybe, sentimental, yeah, there's a absolutely. Little, there's a little bit of a sentimental thing. Father me, and son the, in Guardians 2, well, come on. So for me, uh, the first Guardians does that best, yes. the, the, the veneer, the idea that the Guardians can be kind of like a family together. 
it that works the best and the suicide squad i'm not entirely convinced by trying to make some of the characters likable probably the most believable relationship i found was actually the uh rick flag and harley quinn just having any sort of connection because they've already been in a movie before and you know his desire to rescue her but the sort of the more the ending stuff and that we're gonna have to you know like when the the daughter's cheering on blood sport yeah yeah. that sort of stuff i was like "Eh." shoehorned in right like yeah yeah. but whereas guardians of the galaxy 2 does it the worst does it the worst effective well is Ratcatcher 2 even like She's a weirdo. She's her and Polka Dot Man are like, are they villains or victims? Yeah, are they villains or just freaks? Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. not. They're true, kind of sympathetic true. weirdos. I, I will agree that she like, maybe robbed a bank before. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, she's not not she's the weasel not a, who's eaten twenty three children or whatever. Is this thing a dog? A dog? What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I'm gonna go with Afghan hound. Oh my God! Is it a werewolf? Yo, they sent me this to a werewolf. Yo, let me out. He's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know. Apparently, both Gun and the film kind of suggest that it's, it, what, do, what the hell do we really know about Weasel? And then, I mean, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, a lot of these people may have been put in prison under, even if they're, even if they're evil, dubious circumstances. Yes. Well, and that gets into one thing that I found interesting about the movie, but that it doesn't develop too much. Yeah. But there is this this sort of um, soft political critique of oh, yeah. of sort of American empire yep. and that worked for when it was there. Obviously, I think like in a big movie like this, they're not going to push it too far. No. But even linking the idea of like, well, how different is the Suicide Squad from the way black ops work in general? Yeah. Like that yeah. sort of stuff was like, you know, I thought that was smart and good to have. And Peacemaker the revelations, a, yeah. a great satirical character. You know, like some of his lines about like, you know, this is a... His, you know, my helmet is a, a beacon, beacon of peace, and and like things like that, like they actually are really funny, but also like good satire. Yeah, it's satire, and that's that's why this film functions also in a better way than some of the others. Is it actually has an object of satire, whether you think yeah. it, it's not it's not particularly sharp or biting. It's like you say, it's no. it's a pretty conventional critique of like oh American hypocrisy and stuff. But it's it has a point of view. It's trying you know for a mainstream movie to to say a little bit of something. I I there's something I want to echo with. With terms of satire, though, what's allowed is satire. I think one of those interesting things is comparing this to Birds of Prey, which I did briefly in my review, which is like... Which I've yet what, to see. What say. DC allows the filmmakers to um, undercut and satirize in terms of America. So, like, there's this... One of the better scenes in Birds of Prey is Harley Quinn going in to break out some of the other girls from prison... And she shows up at the police station, and she has like a beanbag bazooka, and she like shoots all these cops, and it like explodes into glitter everywhere. And she's just like slow motion, like blowing away these cops with these beanbags. And in this, you know, movie, she's killing all these guards in Corto Maltese, but she's, you know, she's not shooting them with beanbags. She's just blowing them away with AK-47s. But it's visualized as flowers. Yeah, it's. A vi- I actually really like that. That's touch a, I think of, it's a great. Like, the Disney, the Disney like the little uh, birds, birds and flying around. Stuff. Like, but it's the idea of this movie's allowed to undercut American imperialism because it's this kind of nebulous idea, according to an audience, in a way that you're not allowed to be like, well, I'm just gonna like kill cops on screen. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't allow that, but we can we can allow a critique of America through the character of Amanda Waller, so long as the people who are dying on screen are Latin American soldiers who mm. nobody cares about. You know, it's it's just one of those things of, like, the movie has teeth, but only to a point in terms of its satire. Yeah, I, I did appreciate, like, 
not not to bury the. I think I want to come back to this conversation with some of the film's politics, if you want to call it that. But the visual style, I did appreciate the attempts that Gunn did in this to try to play with what you can do with films and try to mimic things you do in comic books. So like using on-screen uh, visuals, like diegetic, you know, like title screens that. The title oh, yeah. cards seem yeah, to be the title imprinted cards are built into right? the diegetic. Yeah, it's like you know, you know later, and it's on the beach, and it's, it's on like the beach. A bunch of rocks. Or the yeah, that, I, the one I like the best was on the there's one on the rooftop where they like and they actually zoom through zoom it. it through it, so you can see that it's yeah. actually just a bunch of like wires oh, yeah, and things. That was, that was pretty. Good. It looks good. Like Gun is playing with what you can do with a camera to like show perspective. I mean, I know you criticized one particular one. I I share your. Uh, dislike Aaron of Polka Dot Man's um, visualizations. Uh, it's a, no, it's because he went back to yeah. it. He went back to the joke of the mom. And here's yep. the thing. If you did the, one time, it would have been the, fine. But The screening that I went to was like Even two cool. times, but third time. And, and, and yeah. people were laughing during it, but that third time when it's like three giants, yeah. it was just silence. And it was like, yeah. oh, that, that joke did not hit. It, no. You needed to do the um, Groucho yeah. Marx thing where you yeah. run it and then you edit to the run to the exactly. laughs or not. <laughs> Uh, maybe Michael Bay has some points too. Um, can, I, can I point out that scene we were talking about in terms of visualization? So when, when Margot Robbie is killing all the soldiers to break free of the uh, sort of military palace, and so all the blood and guts are sort of flower are visualized as flowers shooting out, and we get that shot behind her, and there are the sort of the animated sort of Disney style birds flying around. To me, that was something that like I thought was really clever, and I liked it, and I wish he had gone even one step further and just done it a little bit more because I actually think buried in that is actually a really kind of like smart satirical critique of how in our efforts to change and move away from sort of the old Disney princess what have we done we've created the kick-ass girl and it was oh, a great yeah. moment mm-hmm. of being like, oh, so Harley Quinn is the Disney princess now. Yes. Yeah. So she I literally, like, you know, in me, this like movie, that, she literally becomes yeah. the princess and puts on the dress and has and to me, like, that, the prince. That's and... smart. That's good. Like, and if it was leaned in a little bit more, it would be even better. The fact that I didn't explicitly think about that, but now it makes total sense, means they didn't lean into it enough. So just in terms of like a story, I feel like the movie, even though it, it's um, it kind of plays along lines, like the opening scene, it's enjoyable to see the fake out Suicide Squad get like demolished with like Nathan Fillion and Pete Davidson <laughs> and all these other guys. Partly like, because of the cast, right? Yeah, like, yeah cast, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's good little characters that they add in there and it makes it funnier. Like the whole like, what does TK Man stand for? Like, what is that? And then it's like, it's the fake part. Man. Like, he, like runs this out. Is what we and Nathan Fillion is so good. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, I actually feel bad because I'm like, man, I wish Nathan Fillion could be in more of this movie because he fits. You know, he's, he's friends with James the, Gunn, but it's also like, he's just one of those guys that needs to have a bigger role in one of these superhero movies. Dear Lord. <laughs> and he has the delivery capabilities dude. for all this kind of dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, that's not, it's, you kind of expect it to go south once, we, like, Weasel's there and you're like, this guy can't be like, none of this can work swim? out. He's not going to be in the rest of this movie, right? <laughs> that was a pretty good joke. But what I'm saying is that the movie seems to have a certain points where it, even though it kind of, dur- and it plays out on a straight line, it, it surprises you in a few moments, which... Some work better than others, but I think, like, the whole Harley Quinn and the dictator of Corto Montese scene where they fall in love and he shows her the bird scene, yeah. and then she kills him, but it's like, this is my emotional growth. I have to realize that when somebody's doing this to me, I have to, like, say no to it. <laughs> and she yeah. and she externalizes that as, like, murdering him, which, that that's, like, a perfect example of how much Harley Quinn, even in just three movies, has, we've come to understand her so much as a character, and they're able to riff 
on this idea of development and like it fits so well with her and her skewed vision of reality but you're like this is not something that Harley Quinn in the ori- you know the original Suicide Squad would do. Yeah. So in some sense it is like she is matured as a character but it means that she's like blown this guy away. So like that's yeah. I I loved that moment. <laughs> but then I would say later the kind of you know the climax of the movie say like the Starro the Conqueror thing it's not only did they kind of spoil it in some of the shots in the in the trailer but it's the movie seems to be like look at how wild and wacky we're going to get with the ending and you're just like yeah. Eh. <laughs> well, can I say that compared movie... to Polka Dot Man, like yeah, yeah I think is Star it really is that less weird? weird. Star is less weird than Polka Dot Man. This this movie, one of its worst aspects, in my opinion, is that it falls prey to what most superheroes do and have like the unnecessary extra climax sequence. And I get that he wants to have the moment where like, oh, we have like like a kaiju here, like, and then like you have all this, but like you actually could have just ended the movie without that. The the climax fight in the you actually have a good action sequence when they're in uh, Jotunheim. The level's collapsing. When they're fighting Peacemaker, have, right? You, yeah, fighting Peacemaker actually has like an emo- um, an emotional apex or climax, right? Like, and it resolves. You the care conflict. for Rick Flag, weirdly then, enough. <laughs> what so many of these, what so many of these like superhero movies do is they add in, it's it's a climax that's not net not necessary to either really the plot, unless you add it in, right? They write, they work it in, or even to the emotional arc or mm-hmm. the character development arc of the characters. And so I'm just, I'm always It's not really fatigued. a part of the structure of the film, actually. Yeah, you no. don't need it. The Peacemaker I, climax is the is the final showdown that shows whether the heroes are up to the medal or not kind of yeah. thing. The Star Wars stuff need, is just extra. And people need to go back and look at, like, we love um, Die Hard in movies like this, not because it takes on an extra scene where, like, Die Hard's flying jet planes against an army, right? Like... It's because it's contained and it does what it needs to do and it mm-hmm. ends there. Like they just need to be like someone needs the guts to not throw in this extra giant battle. Yeah, and like and I, I wish I, that Suicide Squad could be that movie because it, it doesn't demand a big scene. No, like that. you know that. See, this is another comparison I would have. I would say that like this and Birds of Prey really do kind of fit as two sides of of a type of movie because they're both R rated. They both have Harley Quinn, but um, this one is a little more reverent and and just out and out goofy and birds of prey is is skewed but a little more earnest but the finale of of birds of prey you know it's it's a bigger battle but it's not they're not fighting like an apocalypse thing it's like in a circus where they're just fighting a bunch of villains yeah and they're going around and she's uh, harley quinn's got like her big hammer and she's on roller skates and like bonking guys in the head and stuff and they're beating (laughs) you mcgregor's bad guys it's very much like a joel schumacher finale actually weirdly yeah, your enough. description sounds like <laughs> no that movie loves schumacher and you can tell kathy ann the director like she's affectionate of him in, in like a like a genuine way and just comparing that to this it's like it's it's almost like that movie had the safety because the budget was lower they're like we don't have to risk it so we don't have to put the giant finale on and this movie they're like you know it's 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 constructed to be on the periphery of the DCEU. It's very comfortable to be on the DCU, but we're going to give it like the summer primo thing with the big stars yeah. still. So it has yeah. to make the money and it's not really yeah. making money right now. No, But I, I but, actually wonder something about that, which is that, you know, DC only had their big release this year on streaming with the, the Zack Snyder Justice League, which isn't really theirs in some ways. Yeah. And this they, this movie kind of bridges that gap between, as you said, being like a lower stakes superhero movie, but also kind of being like the big DC temple. 
It is their it temple is. within Well, because the... Wonder Woman didn't get the proper... No. Re- like, if Wonder Woman had... If it, you know, hadn't come out in January, Wonder Woman probably would have made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like, in a Sadly. normal year. Sadly. Yeah. But no, but just because of people's effect... Like, we would have gone to see it. Yeah, we people liked paid the first it movie, Because so. we liked the first one and we wanted to see it. But, it, it, you know, it would have been a big hit. Yeah. But this this movie, strangely enough, like, isn't... is not really a big hit but even though it's the kind of box office right now it's not much it's like 60 million or something like all these movies are gonna have to have an asterisk (laughs) no but but some movies right now are making money and it's kind of odd to be fair is this is released on hbo max as well right so So i feel like that cuts a lot of people are watching a lot because a movie like it's made money you know like um there's some movies this summer that made a good amount of money so it's is it not simultaneously like, on, or was it I delayed? I believe so. Okay. No, I, I believe it's also on HBO Max in the states. I should say. Yeah. yeah. But it's not on Crave. But like you know, I like I was I was I was pretty. I guess I was satisfied with this movie. Yeah. But it's it's I, the I, kind I, of thing where I was like, okay, this is the kind of movie that I had hoped the 2016 version would be. But it's not really my kind of superhero movie. And even James Gunn's humor is not really my kind of humor. Yeah. The thing about for me is, like, all the conversation we've had about some of the highlights of this movie, I think in some of the technical and performance things, I actually like this movie more than either of you are describing. And yet, I came away from the movie feeling kind of like, kind of what you say, Aaron, that, like, I'm not sure this is, like, for me. Like, it's not that it's, like, violent or vulgar, because I like violent and vulgar things. Mm -hmm. It was, like, the violence at times borders on nihilistic in the sense that, like, it's literally meaningless. Like... This film has a joke about a third of the way through the movie that is the highlight joke, as Aaron, you even mentioned in your movie. It is. One of the highlight jokes in the movie. (laughs) And yet, at the end, I couldn't help feeling half wanting to, like, laugh my ass off. Describe it. You've got to describe it. And and also feel, like, horrified. You're talking about them sneaking into the camp, right? So there's a great scene where Bloodsport Bloodsport and Peacemaker are going through a camp murdering soldiers in the most creative and interesting ways. Only for it to be revealed that they're good guys. They're good guys that they're killing, and I was like, "Yeah, that's the the jokes, the gags were hilarious." But it was also like, it kind of maybe it was actually a brilliant joke because it actually made me feel like recognizing that like, why should I feel good about that kind of killing yeah. ever? So yeah, it. But it's just like the film's a bit like if you have one or two scenes like that, but like. The entire film is a bit much at times. <laughs> like, the number of times we get to see King Shark, like, eat a guy's a guy. face. Yeah. Like, oh, man. like, oh, my God. Um, so, so in terms of, like, the actual actors, we, we talked briefly about John Cena. We said, like, his humor comes across pretty well. We talked, uh, obviously, about Margot Robbie as, as yeah. Harley Quinn. But, like, what do you guys think of Idris Elba? What do you I think like of... Idris Elba. Yeah, I, li- I, I think him. I think he's I like just, him. like... A very compelling character and actor for lead character, base or a frame. I think he character. needs to. He's got he charisma. Needs to be eh? more, he needs to be in more movies like this. Yes. Yeah. Like big movies. He does have a lot of charisma. Big movies. Um, he works well with an ensemble. Like he's he's good at playing off the other characters. Yep. Like his because his reactions to other people are also a lot of the good yeah, jokes, the right? Like, like when <sighs> when he's like when yeah when they're gathering together and you know. Um, polka dot man's like no like I, I want to die he's just like oh like he's just like we're all gonna die I hope so oh for fuck's sake like his reactions make that funny I, I, I can't say which critic made this comment but 
or or which like article this was but somebody made a comparison between Idris Elba and this and like Steve McQueen in westerns in the 60s <laughs> and there was something there that clicked in my brain and it's not just Steve McQueen but it's there's something so, like very the Magnificent West- Seven you're thinking yeah there's something yeah. very like western about Idris Elba's approach to Bloodsport and the fact of how weird he is. And it's the, well, it's not just the gunslinger thing. It's the fact that he seems like because of his expertise and his professionalism towards what he's capable of doing, he has a responsibility to pick up the slack of all the idiots around him. And that comes across both funny, but you also get this sense of the way he plays it. that You're like, this is the consummate professional who's, he's the adult in the room of kids and he has to like deal with that. Totally. And, and it creates this like funny level. And so it, it's one of those things of like, (laughs) I almost feel bad because Hollywood, you know, Hollywood's been, has been attempting to make Idris Elba like the world's biggest star for like 10 years. And it's, it hasn't really come. Everybody likes Idris Elba, but he's never had like a giant, giant hit. And this is not a giant hit either. And it's like, when is this guy going to get his like true primo Hollywood blockbuster? Because he has all the chops for it. He's like a super charming, handsome dude. He's very cool. There's like nobody who doesn't like him. He's capable of carrying a clearly like very broad blockbuster. Mm -hmm. But is he just faded to not be in? Not faded be to be a, consistently like good, but never get that chance. Yeah, yeah. you know he's never gonna be like a true A-lister. Of the like smaller characters, I think I liked. I actually liked David um, Dust Malkian as Polka Dot Man. Like there's there's a genuine like pathos. To yeah, no, I, the casting's I, good because that guy conveys the like yeah. the creep. There are characters like that that can become very irritating in films, and this. Polka Dot Man treads that line, but just remains on the side of, like, sympathetic and uh, authentically weird and not just affective, uh, like, uh, full of affectations, yeah. But, like, his line that, I want to die, it, it's funny, but it's also, like, it's... You it's feel it. He is sad. You're, you're like, oh, man, <laughs> you, your life sucks. Uh, the, uh, and what about... I, any, the, I actually thought, weirdly, for an actor who a lot of people... Peter Capaldi's thinker was... Yeah, he's kind of a non-entity in the film. I kind of got annoyed by him, to be honest. I there's something about Capaldi that in, whenever he's being Capaldi, like you know, in quotes, and it's not um, in the loop, I get annoyed. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's just there's something about him that's so it's so easily abrasive if the the filmmaking isn't like completely on point with is, his kind of rapid speaking style. Is he visually kind of like a a joking nod to James Gunn? Like I feel like his weird with his weird things out of his head because like James Gunn always has like spiky hair in the press stuff the spiky hair and they like kind of dress the same with that like kind of track coat. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he was if, if he was putting a bit of himself in there, but I think it's also just James Gunn made a point of like picking some of the stupidest comic characters like in terms of designs and trying okay, to and make just throwing that them in. straight up in the movie like yeah <laughs> like polka dot man he put polka dot man he put rat catcher in this movie so polka he's dot like, man they are stupid are from, stupid stupid comic comics, characters yeah. and i'm gonna put them in this because they're stupid what's his yeah. power polka dots really yeah that is really his power <laughs> i also did enjoy this is like is this the one of the first movies since uh can i say something about like this movie in the broader superhero genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in my much, much delayed, but will be done sometime, uh, Justice League review, I talk a bit there about like dead ends of the genre. And I think this movie 
exhibits uh, the Suicide Squad exhibits for me another of these dead ends in the genre in terms of like so after this movie where we finally get I guess the more competent version of Suicide Squad but I'm wondering if I need another edgy superhero movie the comics have been doing this uh, for a while now and like it's not really edgy anymore because it's kind of just like a thing it's so like out there and I just like I don't know what else you can do like so you could do another of these Suicide Squads, and then I guess you could try to push the gore and push the vulgarity and push the language further. Could like, you, really? No, but, like, at what stage? Like, I'm just yeah. sort of... I'm starting to feel like this is another of the dead ends of the, the superhero genre. Where, like, this idea of, like, we're doing superheroes, but we're doing it, like, you know, it's way adult, so the kids can't watch it, and it's, like, it's pushing buttons. Yeah, and it's supposed to be provocative. But the kids want to watch know, this movie, by the but way. But it's because... But, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it's, it's the Deadpool style, right? Yeah. yeah. No, like, exactly, and I don't... That's a great point. Like, that's a great comparison. I don't know what else there is going on in this, like... But even outside of the superhero thing, again, I don't, I don't want to just constantly point back to my review, but I mentioned the fact that James Gunn, his ty- style of humor is that kind of edgelord thing. He wants to get the rise... Yeah out of people by pushing it beyond all good taste right and it's like oh look at how edgy i am but like to be honest that's why it's so ridiculous that that the fact that he wrote some tweets that were like pushing it literally (laughs) to the edge was the thing that like got him into trouble with marvel before he was like allowed to continue like you you've known this guy as a company for several years the idea that you didn't know what this was he was about like come on no of course that's absurd but what i'm saying is that it it not only not only that in terms of like corporate hypocrisy but that approach to humor is commodified now in like the most popular animated show rick and morty Mm. like it's we have the example of what is the most clever narrative the most absolutely insane meta-referential storytelling and you know just the crudest humor all jammed into one thing i, and it's I like, have to admit i have not watched rick and morty so. you know it's not for everybody but like i, no, I, I watch rick and morty it. partially just because it's it's like the comedy mm-hmm. animated show on tv and it's funny but it's it's like you know however it's weird because a movie like this plays at the same audience and it's part of the appeal of the approach is like we're trying to shock you but it's like but i watch rick and morty i can't be shocked yeah <laughs> is there a different mode of comedy or something that you could actually do for a super movie like i just think like we're arriving at a point where like if they want to keep making super movies i think they need to start turning to completely different modes to cast it in Slapstick. when are we gonna get our first superhero musical that's my question yeah well i want a slapstick movie i want a movie can we have a superhero movie that uses the physical capabilities of the hero characters within the story world in a way that like a Jackie Chan or Buster Keaton would do. That because would, I, I would love that. Yeah. That would be brilliant. Because it's like you have a character whose physical capacity for pain is unlimited. Let's have fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> no, like you could you could do some great things with that, I think. But then you'd have to incorporate like practical effects. You'd have to incorporate actual stunt work and that would seem to go against some of the filmmaking ethos of the movies as they exist, which is CGI, you know, previs, all that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Totally. As things continue, it's, it's, it will require uh, probably larger external circumstances to force these changes. But I, I, I do think we're sort of, it's not, it's not, the term's not peak. It's like, I think we're dead ending 
genre. Yeah, that's that's why you know, in terms of like peak TV, peak superhero, all this stuff. It's the idea of peak is like, no, it's not like peak in terms of quality. It's just that like you're at the top of the damn mountain. You got nowhere else to go, pal. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> First time I fell in love. Woke up next to the girl and escaped fast and far. But Anne has changed me. What I see in her is obvious. What she sees in me is. Hmm. It's a little more puzzling. The Suicide Squad was good, but the there's been other films this summer that, you know, I, I finally gone back to theaters and I was able to see uh, Leos Carax's, uh new film, Annette, with Marion Cotillard and Adam Driver in theaters. Uh, and it, well worth seeing in theaters. I'm very happy I saw it there. Um, I, I, I'm getting the sense that it had, you know, positive but slightly lukewarm reviews from people. But, like, given especially Carax, you know, who's, he's, a, he's a French director who only makes films every decade or so. Um, his last film, Holy Motors, was sort of a critical darling. But, you know, honestly, I thought Annette was... I, I think I might like I like it better than Holy Motors. I, I thought it was just phenomenal on a lot of levels. But it seems from, to me that a lot of people, like, have different expectations about what a movie needs to deliver. But I think for anyone who's more interested in art in a, in a bigger sense, in the sense of the kind of, like tapping into archetypes and emotions and also the idea of art as being able to express uh, reality through certain forms like you know we talk about like poetry or music and things like that and uh, the way that they can give us a view of reality I think and that is a kind I mean this is huge huge praise and you know take it for what it's worth but Annette really makes you like realize what cinema can do and things that only cinema can do in terms of editing and special effects and stuff like that and, and great performances like honestly i think right now for me annette is the the film of the year so if you just like i know people basically people in their minds it's like annette is french director they might know holy motors that might not mm-hmm. with adam driver it's a musical but like but let's how say would you sum it, no but yeah. how would you sum it up just like in a really concise manner if uh, but with a, if Richard Wagner did a star is born I don't know <laughs> okay <laughs> that's intriguing no really that's like basically the plot is essentially a star is born like, or it's a professional couple torn by jealousy but then adds in a child character and the idea of like uh, child stardom and parental exploitation and things so I, I'm kind of pissed off that it just hasn't come it played like two nights in toronto when i was not in toronto it's gotta come back it's gotta come back i'm looking for a truffle pig someone's star i don't understand tell me you are you made the right choice being out there in the woods there's nothing here for you anymore there's really nothing here for most of us. Buy yourself a new pig. The movie I, I guess, like, I saw the other kind of indie critical darling of the summer movie season, which is um, Michael Sarnofsky's Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. One of our great actors. And Nicolas Cage is a great actor, but he's, you know, he's a guy who probably doesn't ever turn down a job, too. 
<laughs> the, the weird thing with pig, so it's set in Oregon. It's about a man who lives in the woods outside of Portland. He's hunting. Uh, he, he goes truffle hunting with his like beloved pig, and he lives this very like solitary kind of um, Thoreau-esque life in the woods, right? And the way people talk about the plot, it's like somebody kidnaps his pig and he's going to get back the pig and they're like, it's, it's Nick Cage doing John Wick. And it's like, yes, it's, it's, but it's not a revenge movie and it's not really like particularly violent either. It's more of like Ratatouille by way of David Gordon Green. Huh. Okay, that very, that intrigues me a lot actually. <laughs> and it's, it sounds really strange because the character is a former chef and the movie is specifically about how this man who saw life through food, who decided to like leave society behind, and he's forced to go back into the society that he's like turned his back on. And it's it's a um, film spotting kind of end of last month had a, a very good review on it, and it, they kind of hit the nail on the head, which is it's a movie that's kind of pitched right on the edge of goofiness without ever stepping over and because it lives right on that dangerous edge it's actually quite exhilarating Mm -hmm. and it's a movie defined very much by Nicolas Cage as an actor because he's an actor who's capable of like very very great accomplishments but he's prone to go wild right like you're thinking of Wicker Man screaming about bees Mm -hmm. (laughs) what is that what is that what is it oh no not the bees not the bees Ah! I'm my eyes! My eyes! Ah! Ah! You never can tell with bees. And other things like that. But which is why I make the David Gordon Green thing is that it reminded me very much of Joe from 2013, the David Gordon Green movie with him, which is another kind of backwoods story of a man who, in some sense, society's left behind or he has turned his back on society. So, like... Pig is a movie I don't want to say a ton about in terms of the way it actually works because I think it's the kind of film that if you go to it without really knowing anything, you're probably going to be more su- pleasantly surprised than um, you would be if you knew everything about it. But it's not in terms of like narrative surprise, but more in terms of like, oh, this is a much like gentler, mm-hmm. more poetic film than I thought it would be. That's really interesting. I, I will I will just take this moment to say that in the same way, if anyone is uh, intrigued by some of the things I said about Annette, I strongly encourage you to just see the film, not read many reviews. A lot of reviews give away what what I think is one of the uh, central creative conceits of the film, and so at which, well, not if you if you've read it, it's not fatal to the the function of the film, but it's quite, uh, as you said, exhilarating when you realize what what the heck the film and Carax are trying to do, and I, I at the same time I also think it is a a key uh, moment of whether you're able to go with what he's going to do it tells me whether you're going to mm. like the film or not. Because if you if you bail at that moment, if you're like, nope, I'm done, you're probably going to hate the movie. But if you go with it, you're like, brilliant. But with with really like ambitious movies, don't you find that there is kind of a kind of uh, almost like a hand extended yep. to the audience, and whether they take it, they'll really go with it, and if they reject it, it's like, no, yeah. let me bail right now. Because I, I found that kind of with um. Like, Darren Aronofsky is a perfect example of that kind of director, right? I remember going to see Mother, oh. and about, like, 20 minutes in, people start... It starts to click in their mind what is actually happening mm-hmm. in this movie. And some people, are, you can hear kind of, like, the hush, like, oh, like, they gasp. And they're like, oh, my goodness, this is what's happening. And other people are like, I'm done. Yep. And they just literally walk and I out. And I will say this. This is, a, <laughs> this is actually... I'll say this is a compliment in some ways to, 
the mass of audiences at the same time as this is a condemnation of our culture and our society. But you point out a really important thing, which is that most, most people, most viewers are actually not stupid. They're not naive sheep who are just watching uh, comforting bullshit because it, it makes them feel good. But they, they know full well when something is disrupting their thoughts about the world, about their life, about the way they live, about what's right and wrong. And they reject it. And they really want, actually, they just want the comforting pablum. It's not a matter of like them being too dumb. So they just want it. And an artist who is willing to, like you said, I love that, extend the hand and say, do you want to try to like something a little different with me? Only some people will take that. Do you trust me? While in certain aspects, the global pandemic rages on, movie theaters are once again open and Hollywood is preparing to open the floodgates with both new productions and long-delayed releases originally scheduled to be released last year or this past spring, finally coming to theaters and streaming between September and December of 2021. Additionally, the Toronto International Film Festival is coming up in a couple weeks and will once again be the kickoff to the Oscar season and the return of international cinema to the forefront of cinephile discussion. Now, some of these fall's features are huge budget films with blockbuster ambitions, and others are prestige films with ambitions more in the way of award season gold. But I thought to kick things off, we could talk about what are a couple of films we're looking forward to seeing this year. So I'm going to ask each of you, what are two films you're most looking forward to seeing between September and Christmas this year? Either, uh, you know, ones that were long delayed that you're glad to finally get to see, you know, things you were expecting to see in theaters in the fall 2020 or any new surprises that you're like oh they made a movie uh in the last 18 months that i didn't know about so i don't know do you guys have any what are your picks aaron am i speaking for all of us that like dune is the movie we're all most looking forward to of course actually i'd say no but no is it is it the bond movie that you're more looking forward to yeah i'm more i'm probably more looking forward to the new bond you're not a true believer of Denis Villeneuve, the gospel of Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> I, he's one of my favorite like current directors. I just I don't entirely trust the casting. I'm not a huge Timothy Chalamet or Zendaya fan. And, um, and Dune's extremely difficult. Yeah. So, oh, it's, it's a huge challenge, and I'm, there's no I'm guarantee going, I'm, that I'm, it's going to I'm work. going into it with low <laughs> You're, ta- low you're taking the under on the, the yeah. bat here. <laughs> I guess visually I'm sure it's going to be amazing from what I've seen in the trailers, but I just, I don't know if uh, the cast will pull it off, but I'm also equally like, um, I'm a little bit like I'm, I'm definitely going to see the Bond movie. I'll probably Mm -hmm. see it more than once, but um, I'm also wondering, like it's been a long time coming out. It has really high expectations because of that. It's the final so Dan like, McCray film. It's you know it's it's had a release date set for you know every six a year and a half for a while now, and it's gonna be the last Daniel Craig for sure. So I I liked Spectre, but I had my qualms. Um, so we'll see if they can get back to the the previous heights. But so I'm I'm a little bit more higher expectations for that. But either of them, I actually don't know what to expect. See, I I'm not even certain that dune will work i just want to see it mm-hmm. really badly yeah and <laughs> like, in the big like screen my, right? like, my curiosity yeah well i like i saw the imax preview and on the imax size like oh my goodness these, these images looked amazing but dune's my favorite novel dune is something that i've always wanted to make and so if somebody's like if it didn't didn't even live 
He's a director I admire a huge amount. It's like I'm very excited to see what he can do with this material. It might not work because Dune might be one of those books that's not particularly suited mm-hmm. to cinema. Yeah. But I'm curious to see it. <laughs> I, ge- I guess where I'm just at is simply that, like, so I always thought that Lord of the Rings was going to be tricky to make. Um, but the trailers for Jackson's, Jackson's you know, fellowship had me more excited than I am for Dune. I'm actually not blown away by the Dune trailers. Like, visually, I think they're, like, it looks impressive, but uh, we'll see. I have to admit, I'm actually very excited this fall to be watching the Lord of the Rings films. I'm going to watch them again for their 20th anniversary, <laughs> so. Yeah. And and so my, my, my kids are going to watch it with me, so they're very So are you two, too. you guys are the, like, the Matrix sequels. Yes. Uh, pushers and boosters. So, like, are you guys stoked for number four? I am. I'm very... Do we have a release date? Yeah, it's Christmas. Is it November? I think it's Christmas, Christmas, December. And, you know, with Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss back. um, I'm pretty excited about it, so... So, they haven't actually, like, released the plot of it, right? No. So, my my concept of it was that when I first heard about it, I, I was like, my perfect imagined version of this movie is that it's... Um, in you know in Matrix Reloaded, the architect talks about six prior the ones that have existed. And they've all made this choice, and they've made the choice to like reset and go back, and like and and essentially avert the error that then Neo decides to go the other door and like kind of bring about the the end of this um, cycle, the cycle between the machines and the humans within the actual um, simulation. Mm-hmm. But my my ideal version of we would be them doing cloud atlas style for like the six previous matrix um ones where you would flip between carrie ann moss plays the one in certain ones and keanu reeves plays the one in certain ones and you would constantly jump between them do you know who co-wrote the screenplay with lana is it tom twicker no it's david mitchell oh (laughs) (laughs) wow see here's the thing if if this comes to be true it is actually like people need to like doff their caps to me because <laughs> this is not just me coming up with mints now i came up yeah with i, know, this, I like, remember you telling me about too. That. but that's what i hope yeah i'm just excited because even though like i despised and i i'm not even like that's not even too harsh a word like jupiter ascending was so bad the the wachowskis yeah i never um, saw it actually attempt at space opera with channing tatum and mila kunis and i thought was he like a wolf was, a mutant wolf yeah, or something he's he's half wolf <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a bad movie. Yeah. Um, and nobody told Eddie Redmayne that he wasn't winning an Oscar for it. But, <laughs> like, and, and Cloud Atlas, I thought, was, like, a very earnest film yeah. and kind of interesting purely in its, like, formal experimentations. Probably not, like, a good movie, though. Yeah, well, the best for that weird, like, gremlin man. <laughs> yeah, the Hugo Weaving. He's a leprechaun. He's a leprechaun. And Tom Hanks being, like, with bleach blonde. Speak- it was speaking, no, but speaking the weird language. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, Anton, is there any other okay, okay. other film you're looking forward to? Well, so we're getting off track, but yeah. like I'd say, um, <laughs> the Many Saints of Newark. I saw the trailer mm-hmm. today at the movie theater when I was seeing Suicide Squad. I'm definitely looking forward to that. The mo- The Sopranos prequel movie for anyone who yes. isn't aware of what this is. Yeah. Yeah, and and it actually has James Gandolfini, I think, his son. Yeah, Michael yeah. Gandolfini. And, and it's directed by David him, Chase. Which it, which it really intrigues no, me. No, that, that he wrote it, right? Yeah. I think Chase is, like, producing yeah, yeah. Alan Taylor directs it. Oh, okay. He, 
he directed a lot of the yeah. episodes. Okay. And Taylor is one of the um, like stalwart HBO director guys. Yeah. So did a lot of Game of Thrones as well. He also and directed Def- Terminator Genesis. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> <Shot against me. laughs> oh no! That's not good though. Um, okay. And um, Thor: The Dark World. Oh, I'm man. not joking. That, this <laughs> he is directed not, both. This is not boding well. No. Yeah, but his episodes of TV are very good. <laughs> exactly, and this isn't like a, a blockbuster. I think Anders, you're also quite looking forward to the new Scorsese. Oh, that's my number one most anticipated film of. What's the it, fall, is it actually fall? Killers out? of the Flower Moon? It's supposed to be on Netflix this December. So, so similar That's similar the to the Irishman. So, the Killers of the Flower Moon is about the Osage uh, County uh, murders in the 1920s of Indigenous uh, Native Americans oh, okay. and the formation of the FBI. And Leo DiCaprio. And, no, right? the cast is so the the villains father son are actually De Niro and DiCaprio. Oh, and great. then you also have uh, Jesse Plemons as the uh, FBI, rookie FBI agent investigating the murders on the reserve. And then a, a lot of local and indigenous actors as well. So it's like a huge cast, uh, a really timely topic and like based on a non-fiction uh, book about the topic. So it should be really interesting. Can I say that I'm, I'm surprised to say that I'm not actually looking forward to the new Spielberg? West Side oh, Story. Yeah. Like I just am like I always wanted Spielberg to make a musical because it's been one of but his. We already have a great West Side like, Story. Like career ambitions, but why? I'm just like, why are you remaking West Side Story? West Side Story is already almost perfect. So why would the, you remake? Yeah, it? like that's I just a, don't. I just don't understand. Like, like re, I'm gonna remake Star Wars. Like why? Why would you do that? That's the thing with West Side Story where it's like, in my mind, there is no way they can improve on no. it. And I know yeah. people. I know people will be like, well, actually, the way you improve on it is if you have actual. Puerto Ricans is all the cast members and you have better singers in the lead roles. I'm like, I don't give a crap about the singing. And the representation thing is more symbolic than actual yeah. performative. The, the original so choreography film is, is still, what makes uh, it for you in the music? Well, in my mind, it's the choreography. The choreography is, yeah. It's the cinematography. cinematography yes. yeah. And it's the fact that it... I think the movie is like perfectly paced and edited. Like... <laughs> Yeah, West Side Story is maybe my favorite movie musical. It's, it's like, up there. For I think me, you can, but... you can remake great, great films if, if there's like um. So if the example for me is that like, King Kong, like Peter Jackson remaking it is because like King Kong's a great film, but like it's also a film that's like on a uh, purely objective level, like you know it's not like a perfect film. It, there's a lot of like really stiff wooden dialogue and like all this sorts of stuff. And so Jackson making a movie where it's like we're gonna like pour a lot of effort into like actually having like really serious characters and like the acting side and all that stuff. In, in addition to the Kong action, you know, like that to me, they're like okay, you're making your case, but like I just don't understand what the angle Spielberg's taking on West Side Story is. So we'll see. Um, I guess what else? What else are you looking forward to, Aaron? Venom. You you. Well, no, I'll see Venom, but as like a laugh because it's it's the great superhero comedy. It's not. <laughs> not I need comedy. to see the first one. <laughs> no, I had no interest first... in seeing it, and then you're it's... telling me about it. And I was like, okay, I should probably no, just watch, you should it. watch it. Venom, Venom is not good in like a conventional sense of good. Venom is essentially a '90s blockbuster with Tom Hardy thinking that he's in like I don't 
don't even know what he's thinking he's in, but he's just, he's given like a really off the wall, weird, weird performance that is super funny to watch because the majority of the movie is a buddy comedy between a guy and his like alien goop <laughs> that is taking over his body. And he's like, I, I don't know. You, you, you can't go around eating people. What are you doing? Oh, I got to eat these chicken bones. And you're like, what is going on? And the movie is just like, I don't know. I, 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 I think there's something in, um, both Marvel and DC try to fight the idea of how stupid some of the superhero <laughs> yes, ideas <exactly>. are. <laughs> and the and Venom is just like, no, it's dumb. And we're not going to excuse it. It's just like stupid. And it's just, there's never a moment in the movie where you're like, it's trying to be cool. It's more like, he's got the alien goop on him. And now this happens. But if that's the if that's the wavelength of the movie, I think bringing Woody Harrelson into the mix sounds great. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the, no, that's it has that thing. kind of like eighties nineties vibe to the movie too. Like you just take well, you just, just take the premise and you go with it. Like yeah, it's just like have fun with it. You got a big A list star, and you're gonna have big budget, and let's see how it is. I'm like super excited, but it'll be it'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Um. The, I guess the movie I'm like most curious about, but it's I'm not 100 percent sure it'll actually come out, but it's Paul Thomas Anderson's. Movie. Yeah, it doesn't even have a title yet. But... Oh. I think it does. Does it now? I think it might. Maybe it's just one of those leaked titles, but you know, it's about it's kind of like drawn on his own childhood, yeah. and it's also about has Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, it's about a child actor. And in like Los Angeles, and his dad is kind of like uh, in the business, and and that kind of like kind of a coming age thing. It's just Bradley Cooper plays the dad yep. character. It sounds like it almost it's, could be a sort of spiritual sequel to like Magnolia or something like that. Yeah, it really does. And I think it's just that because I think um, around there will be blood. Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, just kind of matured as a director, and Inherent Vice and Phantom Thread are like proof positive of the fact that he finally stopped being a, a pastiche filmmaker mm-hmm. and became his own yeah. filmmaker that I'm like very excited to see what he's going to do with something that is not an adaptation like Inherent Vice and is not driven by an actor who kind of has his own gravitational pull like Daniel Day-Lewis so something that's like very born out of his own life experiences I'm very curious to see that because I think one of the other things that I like so much about Paul Thomas Anderson's last few movies is that he seems to be um, opening up himself to kind of an emotional vulnerability in his storytelling that he was kind of hiding through um, reference or just pure technical acumen in his earlier movies and I know a lot of people would say Magnolia is a very emotional movie but it's not an emotional movie about you know, it's not emotional, but the filmmaker, or, it's, not, it's not really, yeah. like, vulnerable. I think what you, you pointed out really well, that it's, like, the uh, the imitation, affectation references, you know, specifically to Scorsese and Altman in Altman. his films, especially Altman in that, and, like, Magnolia. Um, kind of, like, then you can, like, filter that emotional story through it. But once you're telling it with your own voice, like you're like you're just putting it out there. You don't get to play yeah. the game of, like, oh, I'm it's an homage. You, know? you can't hide no. So I'm, I'm most, yeah. I guess, most curious about that. But just, I guess, in like a very, we don't know if that's gonna come yeah. out. Um, yeah. But what about movies that we know okay. are gonna come out? Like I'm what excited about the for West Halloween Anderson? Kills. I'm excited. That's a delayed film, right? Sure. Like I'll watch it. But the one, actually, the yeah, other I'll one. I'll see that, every Wes Anderson. So yeah, exactly. The movie, if great. I can see in theater, that'll make me feel like things are kind of normal. Will be when I go see Halloween Kills, <laughs> the new David Gordon Green. But hopefully with Danny like a McBride, large, you know, a full uh, theater. You know, the second film to his, the Halloween remake slash the diegetic reboot they did a couple years ago. 
As always, you can find all our written content over at threebrothersfilm.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Three Brothers Film and be notified when new reviews and features are available. Once again, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on Three Brothers Filmcast. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. I bid you farewell. <laughs>